including our Somewhere New series. So after today, we will not be going anywhere new. Uh, just kidding. I uh, also want to give you a heads up that we'll be observing communion at the end of our service today. And if you're joining us online, maybe you could grab some juice or wine or cracker or bread and, and uh, be ready to join us in the Lord's Supper at the end. Well, I wanted to summarize just a little bit of where we have went in our January series, Somewhere New. So if you were here week one, uh, I took us to the shore of the Jordan River in Joshua 3 when um, Joshua was taking God's people across an adventure and they were ready to, to uh, cross this ginormous river, probably wondering how on earth are we going to do this. And the officers in the camp and Joshua had some specific instructions for the people that gave us insight into things to keep in mind when we're going somewhere new. And if you recall, the three points were move, follow, and dedicate. And so this idea, if we're going to go somewhere new, we actually have to move out from our positions, move out from the places that we've been camping out too long. And uh, in this case, follow the Ark of the Covenant, follow the presence of God, because we have never been this way before, and he'll show us where to go. And so this idea of moving, following the presence of God, and then uh, Joshua had these specific words for the people. He said, consecrate yourselves to God, for tomorrow he's going to do amazing things among you. And this word consecrate, we could kind of think of setting yourself apart, dedicating yourself to God, and, and this idea of when we're ready to, to go into new places, it's important to kind of do this self-reflection, this do business with God and say, God, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from fully experiencing the life that you have for me? Cleanse me, forgive me, prepare me. I dedicate you once again to, to follow in this life that you've given. So that was week two, I'm sorry, week one, and then week two was last week, and we had a guest speaker, Adam Paulson, with us, really enjoyed having him here, and he uh, showed us through Acts 16 just some lessons of going somewhere new through Paul's second missionary journey, and he kind of highlighted this idea that when we're going somewhere new, often it can be messy, uncertain, and uncomfortable. We can resonate with that, can't we? But what he said, when we, when we experience messy, uncertain, and uncomfortable things in our life, it's important that we remind ourselves and we anchor ourselves in the person of God and in his character qualities like he's unchanging, he's trustworthy, he's peace, and he's good. And so he reminded us of those things to, to hold on to God in times that, that are so uh, chaotic in life. He also took us took us through a time of reflection. And I appreciated this because often when we're in transition or going somewhere new, there's some pain involved, isn't there? And there's some healing that needs to happen, some grieving, some lamenting. And I just felt led to share this brief story with you uh, that kind of ties into that. Five years ago, I um, had just resigned from my position at a church that I worked in Omaha. And... Um, I decided it might be best for me to attend a different church for a while. And so I attended one of our church plants. And it couldn't have been any more different than the church that I'd worked at. I'd worked at a suburban, white, large church. And this church that I went to was a inner city, multi-ethnic, small church. And I absolutely loved it. it, it, it everything I saw was different. Everything I heard, well, not everything, but a lot of what I heard was kind of different, different cultural experience. Even kind of what I smelled was different. I mean, it was just all different. And I loved my, my time experiencing the service. And at the end, as I was in the lobby, uh, the pastor came up to me and he, he knew who I was. And he says, Lisa, why are, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I said, that's a good question. <laughs> And I kind of gave him a little update on my life. And uh, he said, I want you to know you have a place here. You can stay as long as you need. You can sit up in that balcony up there all by yourself. Just you can have privacy. You can dip in. You can dip out. And this can be your place to heal for as long as you need, Lisa. And I so appreciated that. And I did. And that's where I planted myself for about six months. And it was super restorative for me. And I just felt that maybe there's some people in our midst today that that's the case for you, that you've stumbled across common way as you're somewhere new, 
And I just want you to know that if you're in a place of transition or a place of grieving or hurt or church pain, that you can stay as long as you need and hopefully longer. But um, this can be a, a safe place for you. So just wanted to extend that invitation. Well, today, as we are um, going to be looking at a rather long story in Acts, <laughs> it's going to give us an up-close and personal look at a follower named Jesus and how he learned to embrace a new thing that God was doing in the early church. And God wanted to take Peter and the church somewhere new. And this somewhere new was going to challenge their old way of thinking and their old way of living. And it would go against all they had known as Jewish people. So in essence, God is, is kind of saying, hey, Peter, it's time to change your beliefs and your practice on this very important matter to me. And it's not just you, Peter, but it's everybody who claims to follow my son, Jesus. Peter, it's time to go somewhere new. And so, yeah, this story involves traveling again, like physical traveling movement. But I think more so it's going to be a spiritual movement of the heart. And I would probably vouch to say it's usually the movements of the heart that is the most difficult and the most challenging. So we're going to be looking at a story in Acts chapter 10. Uh, but before we uh, get there, here's a little bit of what's going on. So the early church is growing, and uh, Saul has just been converted to Christianity. If you remember, Saul was a Pharisee, and, and he was persecuting Christians before he had uh, had this dramatic encounter with Jesus. And so now he's on Team Jesus, so that's all good for everybody because we're enjoying a time of peace. He's no longer, as Scripture says, breathing out mur murderous threats. So that's always a good thing. Uh, and at the end of Acts 9, Peter has, um, through the power of God, done some miracles, pretty incredible uh, moments with people. And he has now settled down in a seaside town called Joppa. Okay, so that's where Peter's at. And we pick up in chapter 10. Now, a few things I want to let you know about before we jump in is, um, first of all, we're, we're going to kind of be looking at, kind of running on two tracks today as I, as I uh, give this message. Number one, I want you to be thinking about what is the new thing that God is doing in Peter's life and in the church? So kind of be listening for this. What, what is the new direction? Where is the somewhere new that God is taking them? And the second is, what are the clues that we're picking up on that God is actively involved in the process? So I want you to be paying attention to that. Like, what is, what are the, what is the evidence that God is taking them somewhere new? How can we pick up on that? And the first is important because it's going to give us incredible insight into this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing and how it has implications for us today. And then the second is important because it helps us as followers of Jesus to know how to join God in what he's doing. Have you ever kind of wondered, like, you, God, what, what is happening? What is going on? And you're trying to pay attention and, and pick up on these clues and circumstances and words or events or people. And it's important to kind of know, it's, it's like spiritual wisdom to understand maybe a little bit more of what he's doing. All right, so time for story time. Now, this story is super long, like I already said, because I'm preparing you to pay close attention. But we have great, we have great attention spans, don't we? Um, to break it up, I'm going to read some just to you, not on the screen. I'm just going to read and listen to this story, because Luke just does an incredible job with this narrative. And listen to some of the story and what's going on, and I'm going to summarize it, and then we're going to jump in um, with the rest of the passage, and you can read along, okay? So starting in Acts 10, we're in a town called Caesarea, and Caesarea is right along the Mediterranean. So verse 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. How'd you like that name? I looked it up yesterday and found out there's about 27,000 people in the world, and I'm sorry, in the United States named Cornelius, just because I was curious. Neil for short, apparently. <laughs> he was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So what is that? He was in the military for Rome. And he was an officer. And he had status. And he had rank. And he had responsibility. Oversaw maybe about 100, 100 soldiers. And he and his family were devout and God-fearing. Now immediately you're like, hmm, this guy's a Gentile because he's Roman, but he's God-fearing. 
so curious. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. I would too. What is it, Lord? He asked. I think that's remarkable that he responds that way. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. Sounds like this guy was a pretty good dude. Now send, and now here's the directive, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, Simon the Tanner, I'm not talking about Tanner like a guy that likes to sunbathe and have dark skin. Tanner here is a guy that um, kills animals for a living and turns their hide into leather. That's what a tanner is. And if you have that profession as a Jew, you're kind of on the fringe of society. And so Peter is staying with this tanner. Also of note, probably not important, but it's probably a pretty stinky house if you're killing animals for a living. And if you're trying to find the house, you probably just go where the smell's at along the sea. And then I thought, well, maybe Peter's okay with that because, you know, he used to be a fisherman and he's used to fish. Have you ever been down to a seaport to smell fish? Yeah, it's not my favorite. So anyway, these two guys are hanging out, and, they, and um, this is where Simon is staying. So the vision continues. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was with one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So this centurion wasted no time. He has an encounter with an angel. The angel tells him these things, and remarkably, he doesn't question it. He gets one of his soldiers, he gets two attendants, and he sends them on the way about a 30 to 40 mile journey down, um, down the coast to Joppa. So you're wondering what is going to happen. Well, verse 9, now we get to find out what Peter's doing. And his world's ready to get rocked. Verse 9, at about noon, the following day. Okay, so the travelers went all night, all morning. At noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the, sea, excuse me, the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. Now, at noon is not a common time for Jews to pray. And so it just tells me that, that Peter is really wanting to be with God and to seek God out and spend time with him. So he's on the rooftop, which also kind of lets you know that Simon the Tanner is doing pretty well for a living. Um, he's got a pretty big house. So he became angry. He became hungry. Hangry. <laughs> he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And that word there is kind of out of body experience. And he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Try and picture that. It contained all kinds of four legged animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Because remember now, to kill an animal would make you ceremonially unclean as a Jew, which is why staying with a tanner would put him on the fringes of society. But Peter's saying, I'm not going to do that. So he starts wrestling with this angel and this vision. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that, the God, that God has called and made clean. Guys, this went on three times. Passage says this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, if I was Peter, I'd be like, what was that? He and he starts wondering about it, and he's trying to figure out the vision. Meanwhile, the men sent from Cornelius found out where he was, and they found Simon the Tanner's house. And they stopped at the gate, and they called out asking if Simon, known as Peter, was there. Hey, is there a guy named Simon Peter here? I just wonder what those guys were thinking. And remarkably so, he was. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon... Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. 
and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So we have some pretty incredible, I would call, supernatural events that are happening to bring these people together. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is righteous and God-fearing, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So, we have two guys, Cornelius and Peter, who have both experienced visions, and as a result of that, they're having this connection, and Peter has been invited now to go, going in blind to this man's house, this centurion, this Roman official's house, for what he still doesn't know what it's all about. Now, if you're Peter, you're probably wondering, uh... There's no way I'm going to go into that man's house because that would make me ceremonially unclean if I go to a Gentile's house. So what's he going to do? You're starting to see like this tension is building up. And then I'm wondering, what about these animals? Like is this really about four-footed animals and birds and reptiles? Is it about Peter all of a sudden being able to eat a pound of bacon for breakfast? Is that what God's saying? You know, nothing's impure anymore. What is really going on? Well, the story is much bigger than animals, um, as we're going to see. So let's pick up on the story now. Verse 23, as Peter starts out on this adventure with these three strangers to go to Caesarea to meet this Roman official. Verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So this is cool. Peter says, I'm not going to do this by myself. Y'all are coming with me. We find out later there's about six of the guys that go with him. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, stand up. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Okay, so this house is packed. And he still doesn't know why he's here. But the biggest shock factor is all, of all is that he even went in there. It's not a problem for Cornelius to have Peter in his house. But it's a huge problem for a Jewish person to go into a Gentile's house because Jews were accustomed to following hundreds of rules. And they were always trying to make sure that they were ceremonial, ceremonially, that's a hard one to say, clean so they could be demonstrated as people that were set apart and holy unto God. So my question is, well, what would make him willing to do something that he formally would have considered wrong? Like, what switched in Peter? What, what changed in Peter that all of a sudden gave him the green light to do something that all his life was wrong and looked, frown, looked down upon? Well, let's keep reading in verse 28. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. It's like, let the record show we're all aware of this, but here's the change. But God has shown me that I should not call anything or anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without, any, without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? So there it is, but God has shown me. What did Peter need Peter needed a fresh revelation from God to take him somewhere new. Peter needed a fresh revelation from God to take him to a place that he had never been before because he couldn't go there by himself. He didn't have a category for the experience. Look, if something's new, it's like it's not in the brain already. That's why it's new. I remember... Um, hearing a message one time from Beth Moore, and, and she was talking about having like this... this 
cabinet of files in her head, and she's like, I just didn't have a file for that. I just don't have a file for that. Meaning there's, there's nothing I can go back on my experience to make me understand or know what's happening because it's new. Peter just didn't have a file for this to go into a Gentile's home and to know that it was actually okay or blessed. So his tradition, his tradition is what was getting in the way of what he thought was right. And can we all agree that sometimes our traditions can get in the way of us going new places? It's hard to change your mind or imagine that something can be different until God expands our imagination and helps us see it differently. So he had to receive divine guidance. He needed, he needed a sign. And in fact, he got several signs to help him do that. Well, let's continue in verse 30 to see what happens. Because Peter said, why have you asked for me to come? So this is what Cornelius says. Three days ago, so now, now Cornelius goes right back into the story. He's like, can I just tell you what happened to me? You know, in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I would imagine at this point the air is thick. <laughs> and you probably could have heard a pin drop. And I wonder if Peter on his journey there had been thinking about what in the world he's going to say or what he's, what's going to be asked of him. But now he is, he is put on the spot, isn't he? And this Roman soldier is looking at him and saying, go ahead, tell us, what has God commanded you to tell us? We're all listening and we're ready. Also want to direct your attention to the fact that, you know, Cornelius has been described as a God-fearing man and a man that had done good things. And so, you know, at this point in the story, you're kind of wondering like, okay, what is Cornelius' deal? Is he Jewish? Is he not Jewish? Like, what's the deal? Well, as the story unfolds, you're, you're going to find out that with Cornelius and his household, they were kind of in this camp of people that were aware of this God of Israel, and they revered him highly, but they weren't fully all in. And, that, and the, a mark of that is that they decided they didn't want to be circumcised, which I can see kind of had to be a deal breaker for some people. And so the centurion wasn't all in, and, and you can't blame him, probably because he hadn't even heard the full message of the God of Israel and didn't know about this Jesus and all that had been happening. And so he was doing the best he could with what he knew. And now God was giving him this opportunity to hear more. So you wonder, what is Peter going to say to this captive audience? And in some ways, we can kind of think of this as Peter's first sermon to the Gentiles. He had given many messages, but this is the first time he is actually speaking to an all-Gentile audience. So what's he going to say? Well, verse 34, Peter began to speak, and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And this phrase, he says, I now realize how true it is, kind of speaks to the fact that Peter had been in process. He had been on this journey, literally and figuratively, of trying to seek out what is God doing here? And guess what? It's not about the animals. Because he makes a long jump to his uh, kind of deduction of what's happening. He says, God does not show favoritism. That's what this is about. And he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He's, and then he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. What's the message? Announcing the good news of peace of, through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And there's the big idea. There's the big somewhere new that God was taking Peter and, the, and his people. He was saying, this good news of the peace through Jesus Christ is for all people, is for all nations, and there is no favoritism. God is Lord of all. 
And as he's going to continue, I want you to pay attention to kind of how, how Peter summarizes the good news of Jesus. Like if some were to ask, someone were to ask you, hey, what's the gospel message? Gospel meaning good news. What is it? I think Peter gives a great summary here in the verses to follow. So let's see how he kind of summarizes it for Cornelius and his family. So we already know that it's good news and it's about peace through Jesus who is Lord of all. Verse 37, Peter says, You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So Peter goes directly into saying, hey, you know about this guy, Jesus of Nazareth? And remember what he was known for? He was known for doing good. And he was known for, for healing people who were under the power of darkness and the devil. And he continues on with verse 39. He says, we are witnesses. We, Peter and his friends are, we're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So then Peter says, hey, this guy Jesus, he died on a cross, but guess what? He also rose again. And if you don't believe it, we saw him with our own eyes. And we didn't just see this guy Jesus, we actually ate stuff with him, and we drank with him, and we're able to see that, okay, he's alive because he's able to consume food and drink, and so Peter is saying, this is the good news of Jesus. He was dead, but now he's alive, and we witnessed it, and he continues and says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. And then here, Peter is starting to make some connections. He says, all the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone, not just some people, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, in the midst of this sermon that he is giving to this household of people, he is saying, I want you to know that it's all coming together now, and even the prophets foretold that forgiveness would be available for all people in the name of Jesus. And then something absolutely crazy happens. Right mid-sentence, as he is speaking these words, we read, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. God interrupts his message. It's almost like God said, okay, that's great, Peter. I'll take it from here. You did great. So the Holy Spirit descends on, on this whole household of people. And you may think, well, how do you know? We'll see what happens. The circumcised believers, that's our clue to know what the real deal, or what, what was going on and what was the, the problem of going into the house because Luke identifies it right here. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, 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 Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. So they're starting to witness something they've never seen before. And they're, they're able to see that, that God's Spirit is doing something because a prayer language starts uh, going in the room and people are speaking in, in words they've never said and they're praising God. It's like this praise party all of a sudden broke out right mid-sentence of Peter talking. Something completely out of his control. And they were giving praise to God. Now, I consider this like the second Pentecost that happened. You recall in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit originally came, it, it came on Jewish believers. And now we're seeing kind of this mini Pentecost come across this whole household of faith of um, a place that was very strategic in this big city of Caesarea. So this is a huge turning point for the, for the early church. So we continue to read in verse 47, what is Peter going to do now? He sees all that's happening. So what does Peter say? Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. What is he saying? He's saying everybody that's in here 
it is evident that God has cleansed you, that you have turned to him and responded to this message of Jesus. And so who am I to say that you can't have the same gift of life that we have? That's what Peter saw. So he ordered that they all be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So the entire household, everyone, were all baptized. I would have liked to see how they did it, but I don't have a clue to know how that happened. And then they asked Peter to stay with him for a, to stay with them for a few days. It's not just one remarkable thing to see that that God's spirit made it so evident that the Gentiles were now worthy of forgiveness and life in Jesus. But here's the second remarkable thing that happened in this story. Peter stayed with them for a few days. It's like he said, I want to build a relationship with you. Like, it's not just enough to say that God's good enough for you and Jesus is is, is uh, coming to your life and the Holy Spirit. No, it actually means that we can have fellowship with one another. It actually means that we can have friends. It actually means that this dividing line that used to be between us isn't, isn't there anymore. So he took it a step further, noticing that the Gentiles were invited into this new spiritual family of Jesus, and now Jews and Gentiles could do life together. God was unifying people that were formally, in the former, were separated. And now they had been brought together. A few times this month, I've had a chance to, um, because we didn't have church on New Year's Eve. So I, I, I could have stayed home in my pajamas and that would have been just fine. And I was really tempted to do that because it was a cold morning. But I thought, this is my one chance a year to visit another church in Muncie. So I went to our friends at Urban Light, and I enjoyed a wonderful service uh, at Urban Light on New Year's Eve. And just recently on MLK Day, I had a chance to um, go to a service over in Whiteley at Union Missionary Baptist Church. And I enjoyed both of those experiences, but one of the things that just came to mind as I experienced something new and something different was God, how can we continue to build friendships with people in our city that are much different than, I'll speak for myself, that's much different than me? Because the beauty of diversity and all that was going on and, and you know, some of their traditions and their services and things that were new and different, I just loved it. And so those are some of the things that I think about here. This is where it started, back in this time where Peter's in this home with Cornelius, and all of a sudden his mind is blown, his eyes are open, he's saying, oh my goodness, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for everybody, and this dividing line that had been there before is no longer here. We can have fellowship with people who are different than us. And he embraced it. And I wish I could say, this is the end of the story and everybody was happy. But guess what? When change happens, is everybody happy? No, not everybody's happy. Usually that means opposition happens. And so we read in the next chapter in Acts 11, which I'll, I'll go there for you. I'm not going to turn here, but um, the believers in Jerusalem heard about this event that happened in Caesarea and that, heaven forbid, Peter was in this home of Cornelius and and they, they weren't circumcised, and how would you enter into his house? And so they're angry. And so when Peter comes back, I'll just read it. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, so Peter goes back to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So all of a sudden, you're having the church people of Jerusalem getting really all up in arms about what had happened and they didn't understand and they weren't there. Now this is when, you know, training of difficult conversations when they should have said, Peter, help us understand what happened. Give us a little insight. What's your side of the story? No, they just jumped right in. And I can't blame them because if I was in Jerusalem and I heard that, I might have thought the same thing. But what Peter did is that he engaged them and he just went ahead and he shared the story. He's like, look, guys, 
this is what happened. And he gets um, almost to the end of the story, and I want to uh, bring this to your attention here um, in verse 15 of chapter 11. So Peter is talking and giving his side of the story to the angry people in Jerusalem. And he says this, he says, as I began to speak, as I was in this house and I began to speak, he says, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Peter says, hey guys, this was very reminiscent of what happened to us. Well, he didn't say in Acts 2, but <laughs> back in that moment of Pentecost, do you remember what happened? He said, what happened then is what happened in this house. And he says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. And I find this remarkable because what, what Peter says here is he quotes the words of Jesus. And this is straight out of Luke 3, 16. Back when Peter walked with Jesus, Jesus had said these words, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying, in the middle of my sermon, all of a sudden, God helped me remember the words of Jesus when I had walked with him, and God helped me connect dots that I had never connected before about what it actually meant. And so God gave him a revelation on that. He continues, verse 17. I love this. He says, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? How did the people respond? When they heard this, they had no further objections. Silence. They had nothing to refute. They had nothing to push back. And what did they do? They praised God. They praised God and they said, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And again, there is the big idea of the whole new thing that God was doing in the early church. It may not seem like a big deal to us because we're, we're on the other side of the resurrection and so far along in the story of God's people, but at that time, it was revolutionary. It was mind-blowing. The fact that the Gentiles were given the same gift of the Holy Spirit as the Jews. And it meant, the implications meant that everyone could receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus and they were all given life. Every nation, every people group, all people, there was no dividing line. So as I mentioned in the beginning of this message, there were two tracks I wanted you to think about. One is, where is the somewhere new that God's taking his people? But the second is, what is the evidence that God is doing something new? What can we pay attention to in our everyday life? What are some things we can maybe gather from this story that helps us to see if God is doing something new? So I just want to share a little, five things that I noticed from this story that I think we can learn from. And again, it's not just one, you can't just say, oh yeah, uh, that happens. Does that mean God's doing something new? I think it's like when several of these at one time are happening, that's when it's Oh, pay attention. God might be doing something new. So the first is inner wrestling with God. And we notice this when Peter had his vision, and he goes back and forth three times, kind of arguing, like, I would never do that. But he, he still doesn't quite know the, the meaning of what this vision is, but there was a lot of resistance. And I can imagine on his journey, and as he is uh, cautiously, you know, approaching the centurion's house, there is this wrestling that he has with God. And I'm sure it's accompanied with some feelings of fear and anxiety because often that's kind of where we go, right? When we have these inner wrestlings with God. And so Peter needed a fresh revelation for God, from God for him to be open. In the midst of his wrestling, what got him out of it is he needed a fresh revelation from God. He didn't care about something before and then all of a sudden he cared about something because God was bringing him to a new place. So my question is, is there something in your life right now that's maybe this inner conflict or this inner um, wrestling that you, that you have? And maybe, maybe you're just kind of wrestling on your own, but you haven't brought God into it. And I would encourage you to bring God into that wrestling and be honest and let them know what you're thinking. Uh, a few months ago, I was in my counseling session and I was venting about something and giving my counselor an earful and I was telling her how angry I was at God about something. 
And she listens, and then she paused like she does. And she says, yeah, I can understand why you're loud with God right now. And I love that phrase, loud with God. And so it's okay to be loud with God. Because at the same time, I was very aware of, you know, my connection with Jesus, that he loved me. It's, it's like the both and, right? You know, parents, your kids sometimes drive you nuts, but you love them to death, you know, uh, vice versa, kids with your parents, right? There's this, the conflict is what, it makes it real. It's a relationship. It's when the apathy happens is when you're worried. But when you engage, I think that's where it says that you're invested. And so this inner wrestling is a sign that maybe God wants to take you somewhere new. The second that I noticed in the story is that there's a ton of divine events and circumstances that are happening. Now, I don't want to sensationalize it and applying it to us today and saying, if you aren't being visited by angels, <laughs> you know, or people showing up at your house, that, that God's not doing divine things. But I think we could all say that we've had moments when, like, someone calls us at just the right time, or uh, a circumstance collides or intersects with another situation and it kind of gives us some insight or illuminates something for us that we wouldn't have seen. It's like things happen that you couldn't make up, that you couldn't manufacture. And you're like, I think God is behind this. I think God is orchestrating something in my life. And it could come and look in a variety of ways, through songs or scripture or people or time in church or just, you know, your everyday uh, Go, coming and going at work or with your kids or friends, paying attention to those kinds of, that seem like, I think this is of God, this feels divine. That could be a sign God is moving and God is doing something new. The third is revelation of scripture. So we saw very clearly in this story that God helped Peter bring to mind the words of Jesus that maybe before didn't make any sense to him. But now in that moment, it clicked, and God's Spirit helped connect Scripture that didn't make sense to him before, now made sense, and helped him come to a conclusion that he needed to uh, come to. And I think God does that in our life, too, sometimes. That's happened to me, um, just going about my day, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm asking God about something, and a verse comes to mind, and that's God's way of, of you know, wanting to share some truth or encouragement or comfort with us as he guides us and directs us. The fourth, um, life and unity in Jesus. This is something to always look for because when God is bringing us somewhere new, God wants us to, to, to keep unified in Jesus and to keep him central. And if Jesus gets out of the center and if we start unifying on things that aren't of Jesus, that's a sign that's the wrong direction of somewhere new. So somewhere new in a good direction will speak of life in Jesus and Jesus alone and unity in Jesus and Jesus alone. He was someone that brought together, you know, Cornelius who had status and rank with Peter and just his everyday followers that were hanging out with him. And we've seen this over and over again in the life and story of Jesus. That's what he does. And then fifth, we noticed opposition. I wish it weren't so. I wish that conflict and opposition wouldn't happen, but that's kind of, I think, built in of going new places is because change can invite that. And sometimes when we follow God and we're following his spirit, people that don't know the story or know what's going on will have resistance or have things to say or be critical. But I encourage us to have the conversations and to try to, I call them learning conversations, to try to understand you know, Peter could have had an attitude with the people in Jerusalem when they were upset with him, but instead he's like, guys, this is what happened, and he just told the story, and God took it from there. Yeah, a few months ago, I went to um, Orange Conference in Indianapolis with a few people from our team. So Orange is the, the ministry that gives us a lot of our resources for our student and kids ministries, and Jill Christie and Tyler were going, and they said, Lisa, would you like to come? with us and hang out and kind of learn a little bit more about Orange and, and uh, the organization that they are. And I said, that sounds great. I, I would love to and, and know a little bit more about um, your work and, and kind of how Orange helps with that. So Orange is an interdenominational ministry because it serves 
churches all over the country. And uh, while we're sitting in the, the sanctuary and, and the woman is speaking and kind of talking about the fact that there's a bunch of people in the room that are very different and, you know, we come from different church traditions and, and some of us would disagree in a certain issues, you know, she's just trying to, to call it how it is. She said, I want you to do something for me. And she said, I want you to turn to your neighbor not going to ask you to do it. She says, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say this. And so at the time, uh, Christy was on my right, and so I turned to Christy, and I thought, oh, boy, what are we going to have to say? And, and the lady says, this is what I want you to say. I am not certain that you are right about everything, but I'm confident we can follow Jesus together. And right when she said that, I am not certain that you were right about everything, I just started laughing. And I was like, Christy, absolutely, tell me that. Just, just tell me. And you can continue to tell me, and let's just remember that that will always be true. But then I had my chance to say it to her. <laughs> I am not certain that you were right about everything, but I am confident that we can follow Jesus together. Now, if you're a, a, a kid, a child in here, I'd hesitate, caution you to say that to your parents. But um, we have to leave room for being wrong. We have to leave room for, for learning and for growing and for maturing and understanding this life that God has given us. But I'm confident that we can follow Jesus together. And as a church and as we go somewhere new, we're going to be making new decisions and we're going to be seeking God out and asking and, and there's going to be good dialogue with that. And let's just remember, hey, as we talk, we know not each person, we're not always going to be right about everything, but I'm confident that we can follow Jesus together. I loved, um, as I kind of just observed Peter in this story and his followers, I thought they did three things really well in this process of going somewhere new. Number one, he continued to seek God and engage God and pray and to want to follow and to listen. Two, he brought others with him so he didn't do it by himself. That's all the part of this process as we learn and discern of going somewhere new. He did it with, with people and he uh, did his best to keep in step with the spirit as he was being guided. Now, as you heard this story, uh, some of you might not have resonated with Peter. Um, some of you might have resonated with a centurion who was a really, really good guy, like moral, upright, like, you know, a soldier. He was highly revered in his town for doing good things, and he prayed. And I just wonder um, if, if there's someone here today uh, who you're a really good person, you love God, you, you come to church, but yet, like Cornelius, you, you never have had a chance to just respond to Jesus and to, to hear this good news that forgiveness is for you too and a fresh start of life is for you too. And that it's, it's not just about being good, but it's about receiving this forgiveness and this new life that's being offered by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Cornelius received it that day, and he responded in his whole family. So I just want to extend that to you, that it's for you too. Well, in just a moment, we're going to observe communion. And Cliff, you can come up uh, at this time. And we're going to do it a little bit different in that we're going to have three stations across the front. We'll have one over there in the corner. We'll have one here in the middle center aisle, and then we'll have one over there in the corner. And the reason that I'm doing all the stations up front today is just because I want us to be able to see each other today. Sometimes we have stations in the back, and that's okay. But for the sake of today and the message being very strong about us doing life together, regardless of differences, um, and, and being able to uh, know that, that all people are welcome at the foot of the cross, I want us to be able to see each other as a community, as a family, as we take communion together. And we'll just encourage you to do a few things. Um, one, if you just kind of look up, I know sometimes um, communion will be, will be really internal, and that's okay because we're praying and we're focusing on God. Um, but today, I encourage you just to kind of look up a little bit and look around at each other and just see who's in the room and if you see someone who is very different than you or you don't know who they are, I just encourage you just to say a short prayer of, God bless them today. Thank you that they're here. Or if you see someone that you know and you know that they're going through something challenging, 
or they're hurting or could use prayer about something, I encourage you just to say a short prayer for that person as you watch them come forward to receive communion. It's our way of being the family together. Or maybe you just lock eyes with someone and just smile. That can go a long way as well. As you take the elements, I encourage you just to lift your head. I know you're trying to make sure that the bread doesn't, you know, make sure you don't spill the juice and all that. But, but I always, when I come to the table, I try to look at the person in the eye and really receive it and have that connection. And I know that's a little more vulnerable, but it does make it personal, does it? doesn't it? And, and if you know the person's name, use their name. Because communion, um, when Jesus took the Lord's Supper with his disciples, it was a, a family-type experience. And as you come forward, just to remember the message of the today and the invitation that Peter gave all the people and saying, hey, forgiveness is for all people, that this peace through Jesus Christ is for all people, and you know, the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all of us. And let's remember that as we take it. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much for this incredible story that you've given us that's been preserved through the ages to know how you took this incredible message that your good news of your son Jesus, of peace and life in his name was available to all people, that there is not one difference, one behavior, one background, one experience, anything that can keep us away from receiving this gift and this gift of the Holy Spirit that you have given and want to give to all people. So I pray now as we take communion that we can be mindful of your body and your blood that was given for us, that we can be mindful, Jesus, that you went somewhere new, planet Earth, because you cared about us and you wanted a relationship with us. So we invite you to do a special work as we take communion together. In your name I pray, amen. Um, people that, I think we have a station up here in the middle. And uh, when they get set, you can come forward and receive it as you feel led. And then uh, Cliff will close us in a song, and I'll bless you at the end. <laughs>